Good morning and welcome to chapel here at Goshen College. We want to welcome uh, students here this morning. We want to welcome uh, friends of the community who have gathered here with us as well. You're welcome into this space. We've had a good couple of days with Shane and Chris as they've interacted with um, our community in a variety of different ways over the last 48 hours or so. And then from this point, Chris goes back home to coach flag football tomorrow morning. But Shane goes on to New Mexico to interact with another uh, community there as well. So we will want to also offer our prayers of safety and travel uh, and blessings for you on your way as well. Shane uh, spoke on Wednesday in our chapel on the scandal of grace. Last night at downtown 808 Church, talked about the resurrected church. And this morning is talking about another way of doing life. I invite us into a time of prayer. God, we're grateful for this place and space this morning. We pray that our ears and eyes may be opened. We pray that our hearts may be stimulated. We pray that our minds may be challenged. Help us to live into the wonders of your ways. Amen. And as a recognition of God's effervescent spirit and presence among us in our time, we light this candle. Invite us to stand as we continue to prepare ourselves this morning by singing God of Wonders.
it's been just a magical couple of days for Chris and I. We've had a, a beautiful time here and trust that the conversation will continue and we'll keep talking about all of you in good ways. Um, sometimes when I get home, folks ask me, how was the time uh, at Goshen or wherever? And I, I always have a little smart aleck answer I give now and I say, oh, I don't know, ask us in a year. You know, because it, it, as the, the Spirit continues to stir us and, and take root with the things we've talked about, um, I'm excited to, today uh, to, to dream a little bit about the way that we live and the way that we imagine the world. There, there's one um, moment when we were in Iraq uh, with the Christian Peacemaker team in 2003 um, that uh, has been sort of burnt onto my soul. And, and it was in the middle of the bombing, uh, just a couple of days in, we went to the hospital where we were um, spending time with children and families that had been victims of the bombing. And one of the doctors threw his hands in the air and he's just weeping with tears rolling down his face. And he said, what is this? And, and he's pointing to the smoke and the bombs. And he said, this is for a world that has lost its imagination. And those words have hung with me. And, and as I read Scripture, I see this invitation to see the world with a, a new imagination. And that, that's what it seems the prophets were all about. You know, the prophets are always doing weird stuff, right? Like smacking rocks and fire comes out, you know, or turning rods into snakes. Jeremiah um, wore a yoke on his back, you know, to, to symbolize the captivity. Hosea married a woman named Gomer, which I think just that's cool. But, I mean, that... that um, <laughs> She was prone to adultery and he married her to show God's steadfast love and faithfulness to us even as we are adulterous people. And Ezekiel, really weird dude, you know, like cooks with poop. Um, literally, like read it, read the word, you know, like, like he cooks with excrement and lays on his side and, and is just uh, lamenting the, the stench of the world he lives in. John the Baptist, that, this is why like well, sometimes when people look at me funny when I come to Christian conferences, I'm like, dude, have you never heard of John the Baptist? Like I'm a moderate, like I, I'm not into, <laughs> not into locusts, you know, and uh, not, not, don't even own a camel. Uh, so like, you know, um, <laughs> But, but our, our church history is just filled with, with holy fools, with people who, who live in ways that don't compute with the patterns around them, you know. And uh, uh, the, the holy fools of Russia are some of the, the, those that I've studied. In the middle of one of the reigns of Ivan the Terrible, uh, it, this sort of notorious czar, uh, the, but he was very religious. And, and so Ivan did a fast uh, through the, the, the Lent season. He went on a fast. But Basil, the, the prophet, uh, came in and he just cut a, a cow's leg off and brought a, a big old slab of meat before Ivan. And he said, what good is your fasting when you're oppressing your people? You might as well gnaw down on this cow leg. <laughs> you know, it's weird. Um, and like, uh, at, at one point, the, there's a story of, of St. Ambrose where uh, the, the, these um, bandits come to the temple and they say, give us the treasures of the church. And he brings all of the poor and the homeless uh, out. And he said, these are the treasures of the church. 
and the bandits didn't really know what to do with that, you know. And, and, and it's those folks that we, they, they do strange things that they, they teach us uh, the, the, the imagination of, of the prophets. So, like, I, one of my other favorites is uh, Brother Juniper who was one of the brothers of St. Francis. <laughs> I mean, this guy was nuts. Uh, uh, there, there's one story where they come and uh, try to rob the temple, and for some reason, it's always funny that folks a, a lot of times are coming to the temple to get the stuff that we've hoarded. But anyway, like there's uh, Juniper. He's the caretaker of the temple for some strange reason. Someone left him in charge. And they come, and they, uh, they, they ask him if, if uh, he can spare anything. And he says, you know, I, I really don't have much, but I'm glad to give you all all the stuff on the altar because I'm sure it's worth something and uh, so he goes and strips the altar and gives it to these guys now the, the bishop comes back and and is so outraged that he gave all the, the the precious things on the altar away that he scolds Juniper to the point that the story the legend goes that he lost his voice and uh, at Juniper uh, felt so bad about that that he went home and made him some porridge and he didn't get finished till late at night so then he comes back and and knocks on the the bishop's door and he's so mad because Juniper woke him up and he's like is it, is it not enough that you've ruined my entire day you know and and uh, Juniper says well I just wanted to tell you that I made you some porridge and the bishop's like, what? You know, I don't want your porridge. Get away. And Juniper, like, just such a simpleton. He goes, well, if you're really not going to eat it, could you hold my lantern so I can eat it? Because it's, it's still warm. Uh, and, and at that point, the story goes, the bishop just kind of lost it. And, like, they ate the porridge together, you know. And uh, one other Juniper story. This is just, this is just like, bonus. But, like, like uh, the Juniper, at one point, he would always give his clothes away. And so he's walking down this, the, the street and a beggar would ask him for his clothing and he would just give it away uh, to the point that he was often naked. And, um, and one of his over, uh, like superiors scolded him and, and ordered him not to give his garment away again. He said, we, you know, we can't keep making you tunics. Don't give your tunic away again. And so after that, uh, he, he's walking down the street, and one of the beggars comes up and asks him if he can uh, have any extra clothes. And Brother Juniper says, Brother, you've caught me at a really bad time. Um, I'm not allowed to give my tunic away, but if you took it from me, I wouldn't stop you. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so Brother Juniper. And, and, and that, that's the story that, that we live into. And, you know, sometimes I, I do find it odd that we are so normal uh, in the world that we live in because the world that we live in is, is such a mess. And uh, the great th thinker Jacques Ellul, he said, I, I don't understand how we Christians became so normal. Christians have always meant to be, they're, they're always meant to be troublemakers, creators of uncertainty, agents of a dimension that's incompatible with the status quo of the world around them. That we're, we're folks that see the world differently. And I heard the, the story of one pastor this year that began to think about that. And he said, uh, through the Christmas season and the, and the Advent season leading up to Christmas, he began to see like, what are we doing in the church? Here we are celebrating the birth of Jesus by buying stuff. You know, like 70% of retail spending happening through the season of Christmas. And, and so he, he, he said right before the Sunday service uh, of Christmas, he was standing in their sanctuary and saw all of the decorations and everything. And he said, 
what have we done? This church doesn't look any different from the shopping mall. And he said the Spirit really moved in him that night. And he, he, uh, he, he felt the Spirit urging him to go to the farm and to get a bunch of the manure. So he went out and he got a bunch of the manure and he came back and he just started throwing it all over the sanctuary. And uh, it, it was just, just spreading poop everywhere, you know. And, and um, the next morning, everybody came into the Sunday service, you know, and they've got all their best clothes on and everything, you know. And they're coming in. And sitting down next to each other and like, ooh, what did you eat? You know, I, I, and they're, they're smelling this. And he said, but then he, he, he preached the message that the Spirit had stirred in him. And it was the message of how we have a God that enters the crap. This story that we remember at Christmas is about the Jesus who was born in a manger in the stench, in the, uh, not only the physical stench, but was born in the middle of the genocide of King Herod, in the bloodshed of his world, that this is about a God who enters into the mess of our world and not about our decorations. And, and he said that to Sunday that they're never going to forget, you know. I guess he had a lot of cleaning up to do afterwards, you know. Uh, but that that is... Uh, the, the kind of, of imagination I think that we have to have if we don't forget the story and uh, if we don't allow the story to get infected by the world that we're living in. And I, I think especially for a lot of y'all, like you're, I've been talking with you for a couple of days and you're aware of a lot of the stuff that's wrong in the world. And, and, and sometimes I think what we lack though in a lot of our social justice circles is that imagination to creatively expose the things that are wrong. You know, and, and, and if there's something I've learned from both liberals and conservatives, it's that a lot of them don't have joy. You know, they don't have imagination. They know you may have all the right answers and still be mean, you know, and we, we've got to be people of joy and celebration. And uh, one, one point in particular in Philadelphia where we kind of learned this, was we began to see a lot of things in our city that just didn't look like God's dream, you know? We, we began to see, uh, the, the, in, in our neighborhood, we've lost 200,000 jobs, 200,000 jobs. We've got j just abandoned factories everywhere, and the replacement industries that have come into our neighborhood are largely heroin and, and prostitution. The, the drug trafficking is the second largest economy in our neighborhood. And, and all of that, there, there's just a sickness, you know. And, and then Philadelphia made it even worse because they began to pass laws that made it illegal to be homeless, um, Laws made it illegal to lie down on the sidewalk, illegal to sleep in the parks. One of the final laws that was passed in Philadelphia made it illegal to distribute food to people who were living on the streets. And uh, I, I can actually remember one of the, the city officials was asked, they said, how are you preparing for the massive poverty and welfare cuts that uh, are, uh, you know, uh, inevitable in the city? And they said, we're building five new prisons. And so in all of that, you sort of go, okay, so what, what do we do? And, and we ended up reading a, a scripture that I want to read you this morning that's it's really beautiful. It, it's where Jesus tells us how to throw a party. Do y'all know that Jesus knew how to party? Yes. Um, I think he did it a little differently, though. And this is uh, where Jesus talks about the kingdom party. And he says, when you give a, 
uh, by the way, he doesn't say party, but banquet. I think he's talking to a lot of religious folks, but we know what he's talking about, right? So he says, when you give a banquet, do not invite your friends, do not invite your brothers or sisters or relatives. <laughs> this is the command of the Lord. Don't invite your friends, silly. Um, when you give a banquet, do not invite your neighbors. But when you throw a banquet, you are to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the hurting, the marginalized, and you'll be blessed. I've never really been to a party like that. You know, I, I don't know about you, but our parties, we invited our friends, our neighbors, our relatives. And, and here's Jesus saying I, this party that, that in the kingdom of God is a little bit different. So we decided to give it a shot. And, and, and in the middle of the injustice of, of uh, city laws in Philadelphia, we threw a party with the homeless. And we gathered a bunch of our friends on the streets. And uh, we, we, got, we brought our guitars and our drums. And we had a worship service in the middle of of downtown Philly in the park, and then we decided that we would um, test these laws by serving communion, uh, which was really tricky. You know, you, it was illegal to distribute food. Of course, if you're Catholic, you don't think it's communion, it's it's food at all, but actually the body and blood. So we're like, hey, we're all Catholic here today, you know. And and uh, and uh, but the police officers, you know, they're all standing around and they're like, oh, I'm not arresting them. In fact. I'm going to have communion with them, you know, and, and then we would continue the breaking of the breads after communion uh, by, by bringing in pizza, and uh, I was really pushing the envelope, you know, and, and then we would sleep out in the park uh, to calling into question the, these uh, sleeping ordinances, and we did that night after night on and off for weeks and weeks, and then one night, there, the, all the police officers were ordered to come in and to arrest everybody in the park. So they swarm in, and they uh, put handcuffs on all of us and take us to jail, and we're charged with disorderly conduct um, for sleeping. You're like, man, somebody must have been snoring, you know. And, uh, and <laughs> we, we, we had all of these folks that saw it on the news, and they, uh, they, they, they ended up calling and saying, oh, you know, we, we've got some lawyers. We'd love to come support you. And we said, you know what, come to court and support us. But we decided that we wanted to be represented by one of our homeless friends, Alfonso. So, Fonz, for short. Fonz agreed to represent us. We went before the court, and I had a shirt on that said, Jesus was homeless. And the judge said, come here. Jesus was homeless. Hmm. I didn't know that. And uh, I said, yeah, your honor, in Scripture, the, Jesus says that foxes have holes to go into and uh, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And the judge said, huh, you guys might stand a chance. And, uh, <laughs> and we did. Alfonso uh, 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 stood up and he said, um, on behalf of the group, uh, I would like to say that we believe these laws are evil and wrong. And then he sat down. <laughs> yeah, we're like, well, what he said, you know. And uh, Now, the district attorney was really throwing the book at us. I mean, she wanted us to go to jail and serve time. Many of us had been arrested over and over for con continuing to break these laws. And she said, these are criminals. They need to go to jail and serve time. They need to have thousands of dollars worth of fines that have been accumulated. And they need to have hours and hours of community service. <laughs> No, not that, you know. Um, so we go back and forth in the court, you know, and, and, uh, and 
uh, eventually the judge ends up saying to the court, he says, that, he says, you know, what's in question here is not whether or not these people broke the law. What's in question is the constitutionality and the rightness of the laws that we're passing. And the district attorney said, the constitutionality is not before this court. And the judge said, oh, the rightness of the laws before every court in the country. And he said, these guys are not uh, criminals. If it weren't for people who broke the unjust laws, we wouldn't have the freedom that we have. That's what this country is built on from the Boston Tea Party to the Civil Rights Movement. He said, we would still have slavery if people hadn't broke the law. These guys are freedom fighters. And he, he set us free that day and uh, uh, br- dropped all of the charges. This is one of those days where you read the book of Acts when Paul and Silas are in jail and the jail cell flies open. You're like, well, you know, that's it. Um, but I think part of what was beautiful about the protest was that it, it had imagination and it called into question the very laws themselves. And we even had police officers that ended up coming to, j- uh, to the court to argue that the charges they charged us with be dropped because the laws were bad. And so it's that, that sort of gentle witness that I think as we, as we read the Scripture, we see that, that the prophets, sometimes they were crazy, but they're, they're inviting everybody into something more beautiful than what already exists. And that uh, takes imagination. It takes creativity. When we came back from Iraq, we, um, incidentally, we ended up being charged uh, with crossing, the, the, violating the sanctions. Members of our team took medication to Iraqi people, which was illegal. And so uh, through a very dramatic court hearing, uh, the doctors faced up to 12 years in prison. And it was really beautiful because all of them were willing to go to jail for what they did. And, and as we went to the court, it exposed the, 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 the wickedness of the sanctions against Iraq. And, and uh, eventually we ended up being fined $20,000 uh, for, for violating the sanctions. But the response of, of our group was brilliant. As folks talked together, they said, let's pay the fine, but let's pay it in Iraqi dinar. Uh, and, and so we paid uh, with the, the, the currency of Iraq what would have been worth $20,000 before the war, and it was now worth about $8. <laughs> the State Department didn't really get the joke. But anyway, like, uh, um, but it, it's, it's that sort of creativity, I think, that we need to continue to stir up to expose the things that, that we've done to the world. And I, I think what's so fun is hearing... Uh, as we've talked this week, so many of you that are thinking about your lives. And how many of y'all get asked, like, what are you going to do when you grow up? Yeah, bless your hearts. I, I still get asked that, so don't worry. You know, um, um, I think we, we can figure out ways to creatively answer that question. Because I, I kind of wonder, like, like, what would Jesus have said when he was your age, you know, uh, 20 years old, 18 years old? What are you going to do when you grow up? I don't know what he would have said. Maybe... Uh, I'm going to hang out with tax collectors and prostitutes till the religious folks kill me, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like, uh, Peter, Peter, what are you going to do when you grow up? Well, I was going to be a fisherman, but then I met him and messed everything up, you know. Like, like, and and I, I think that what's in, more important than what we're going to do when we grow up is who we are becoming, you know. And, and I... Uh, I, I, I get to see so many folks that are rethinking their vocations in terms of the kingdom of God. And uh, one of our friends in Philly is a scientist. And 
He ended up uh, rethinking his career as he began to see the poverty of the world around him. And he, he, as a scientist, he became deeply disturbed about the fact that the largest cause of death in the world is simply lack of access to clean water. And he said, we, we can figure this out, you know. And so he started studying that. And he went to Belize, and they're studying the bacteria in the water, and they're studying the technology that can b build wells. And, and uh, uh, now he's spending his life trying to work out that problem as a scientist. And they have a think tank of scientists that are uh, working to do that. And then they met some missional business folks in Philly that said, you want, you want to hear something even worse. In the industrialized countries, we're spending enough money on bottled water that if we just reallocated the money we use for bottled water, we could provide water access for the rest of the world. And so they started a bottled water company where they basically bottle tap water. And by basically, I mean they bottle tap water. Uh, and, and they sell it at concerts and festivals. And every dollar that they make off of the bottled water sales goes to dig wells with indigenous labor, with folks like NCC and other groups that are doing that work. And, and so uh, now the, the bottle of water, every one of them, it says on it, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And it's, it's that kind of imagination that, that uh, I, I see so many of you. And I met this guy the other day at a different school. He, he's a robotics engineer, which I think is totally awesome. You know, like he makes robots. Um, I told him, I was like, I used to play with those Capsella things where you could make the little, uh, that's different. And he's like, yeah, that's real different. Um, so he, he, he makes real robots. And he said, I used to do it because I, I you know, it was, it was awesome. I, it, people were impressed by it. I thought I could make a lot of money. And he said, but then I started to think, why has God given me these gifts? And he went on to explain that now there was a group of, of robotics engineers together that were designing robots that can dismantle landmines so that they can send those robots. Uh, robots over to Afghanistan and they can do the, the job that little kids are getting their fingers blown off doing right now. That they can disarm fields so kids can play again. He's a different kind of robotics engineer, you know, and maybe the big question is not just, am I going to be a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer, but what kind of lawyer or doctor or engineer am I going to be? And how can the gifts and the, and the, the skills that God's wired me with interact with the needs of the world around us? And I think as that happens, like the kingdom of God just bursts up, you know. So, so keep doing that. And by the way, if we have any um, urban farmers come to Philly, you know. And uh, but it, and, and and if you're if you're working out, like how do I figure that out? Like who, what, what I want to do, like. Figure out, maybe take a year off, you know, go and live in a tough neighborhood. Go overseas, encounter some of the world and allow that to, to form some of your gifts. Because sometimes you may go back to school and you may still be a lawyer, but you'll be a different kind of lawyer as, as you've seen the, the, the world around us. Uh, and, and, and some of that changes. You know, I just went back to my high school and they, they um, I had to fill out this survey because I, I went to my reunion. I'm, I'm old, like uh, my 15-year reunion or something. So I, but I fill out this survey and, and as I'm, uh, it's for the alumni directory, you know, and as I'm filling it out, it, it says, what is your occupation? I'm like, oh, God, trick question, you know, and uh, I think to myself, well, I'm trying to love God and love people, uh, so I write in lover, and um, <laughs> now I'm, I'm listed as a professional lover in my alumni book. <laughs> 
Never mind. Uh, so, like, but, but beyond everything, that's what we're called to be. We're called to be lovers of, of, of the poor, lovers of God, lovers of our neighbor. And on whatever career track, whatever uh, major you choose, what, all of that is to fit into seeking first the kingdom of God. And, and, and so keep that imagination. And, and what's so fun, I think, is, is as we look at the world right now, there are so many people that realize uh, that, that we're put down here for a reason, and that is to seek first the kingdom of God and, and to, to see that come on earth as it is in heaven. And a friend of mine who's a filmmaker, he's, he's, he's been gathering a lot of stories, and he made a film called The Ordinary Radicals where he just traveled around the country gathering stories of folks like you that are doing really creative things with their lives to embody God's love. And I want to uh, show you one of the clips of a kid that we met, we met uh, out in well, I think it was in Indiana here, so check this out. This is Mark Weaver. While I was in California, I started reading The Irresistible Revolution by Shane Claiborne. So much my brother Rick, he sent me a copy of the book. And as I was reading it, I was totally inspired, and I was feeling convicted inside living in one of the richest communities in America, in Orange County, California, and I was part of these mega churches. I wasn't living as selfless as I could be. And would you really give all your possessions away, sell them to the poor, and follow me? And I was challenged and convicted. Would I really do something like that? But I kind of shrugged it off. I was like, well, I really don't even have any possessions. But the next day, some of my friends came to visit me from Indiana and California, and they wanted to go get on the show The Price is Right. Here it comes from the Bob Parker studio at CBS in Hollywood. We got in line, and they actually called my name up. And Mark Weaver, come on down. The actual retail price is $14.49. Mark, you're a winner. Mark, you're a winner. 60, Bob. 60. He's going to try 60. We're looking for the back of the car, and there it is. $17,260. I'll shake the hand of a winner. You have to beat 85 cents to get into the showcase, and you did it. You will be in the showcase at the end of the show with his new range in Romantic Paris. Of her brand new convertible! $6,192, Mark is the winner! I ended up winning the whole showcase showdown on The Price is Right. I won almost $60,000 in prizes. I won two cars, a trip for two to Paris, a stove and a rug. It was really cool. But then I remembered the words that Shane wrote in his book, so I decided to sell the two cars that I won on the show right back to the dealership. And I used the money to fly to Uganda, Africa, and I just decided to live in orphanages for a while and just give all the money away to them. The orphanage Mark lived in is for children who lost their parents to AIDS. 
For each one of these beautiful children here, two people died from the AIDS epidemic. Nothing ever felt better than to just give away the money rather than to keep it and get something for myself. I've never been without a meal. I've never been without a shirt on my back. Stuff like that is the least I could do. And if everybody gave a little bit like that, I think this world would be a better place. We'll be right back. And you know what's so amazing as you talk to Mark is he doesn't feel like he did anything extraordinary. In, in God's most perfect will, that $50,000 just belonged to the people of Uganda. And not everybody's going to win $50,000 on the prices, right? <laughs> but maybe some of us go back to Uganda and, and we become architects that, that help rebuild, that we, that we, we use our gifts, we, we do things in small ways that can embody God's love. And and it's not, a, as Mother Teresa said, it's not about how much we do, but how much love we put into doing it. And I started this week by saying a few years ago, that, or actually just about a year and a half ago, a survey was done where people were asked, uh, what do you think of when you hear Christian? And the top three perceptions were what? Do you remember? Anti-gay, judgmental, and hypocritical. And I, I really am convinced that a generation from now, when people hear the word Christian, they will not say anti-gay, judgmental, and hypocritical, but they'll say things like compassion, justice, love, peace, and grace. May it be so. And, and may we give the world some sort of Christianity that they can, that's worth believing in. May they see God's love in us. You know, I, Bonnie Ray, uh, let's give them something to talk about. You know, that's what I'm talking about. You know, let, let, let's give them, uh, live in ways that don't compute. All, all around us, there's going to be people that are tiptoeing through life just to arrive at death safely, that's weird. You know, like, like do something that doesn't compute. Do something that, that doesn't conform to the patterns around us. Uh, let me just leave you with, with one last story as we go because I, I think it's, it's a powerful image of, um, uh, of what our lives look like in the world. And, and um, it's, it's a fun story because it's from East Tennessee. And my, my grandfather was a farmer, and we used to bush hog which means baling hay and cutting field. Do you know that? Your farmer's out here, right? If you say bush hog up in like Pennsylvania in some places, they, or New York, they're like, whoa, you, you're bashing the president or something. I don't know. You know like they don't know what it is, but like, like bush hog, and we would put bale hay together. And my, there was one time where my grandfather had gotten a brand new truck and trailer um, and he's like, all right, we're going to break this thing in today, you know. And, and so we start making hay bales and piling them up until, like, you just can't get any more. You know, this giant tower of hay. And then he's like, all right, that'll do. You know, and they, they head out on the highway. And my uncle's driving the car. My, my grandfather's in the passenger side, and they're just running along the highway. And what they didn't notice was that the tire was rubbing against the hay, yeah, little problem, thing called friction, you know, and so it gets hot, and it catches fire, and it's hay, you know, so it spreads, and it's just going behind them, and they're driving along listening to their country music, you know, and, and folks are waving, and my uncle's nodding back, you know, that's, that's how we do it down south, and then um, eventually he looks in the mirror, you know, he's like, oh, God, you know, and uh, they, they pull the car off the road, and uh and stop, and now all of that fire that was going behind them is, is sort of just going up, and it starts melting the back of the truck, and 
my grandfather's over in the passenger side. He's got his shirt out, and uh, he's in the glove compartment. My uncle says, well, what are you doing? He said, well, I don't want all this to burn. I got my bluegrass tapes in here. You know, so he's scraping them out. And my, my uncle says to him, he says, no, no, no. It's not all going to burn up. I've got an idea. Get back in the car. And the idea was that they would head back onto the highway and shake the hay bales off, right? So they're, they're driving along and just blazing inferno and just shaking it. And the hay bales are flopping back and forth and falling off. And they're catching, like, fields on fire behind them, you know. Uh, they're being followed by fire trucks from all the neighboring towns, you know. And, uh, and eventually, my grandfather said to me, um, after he got out of jail, um, no, um, they ended up putting all the, the, the fires out and everything, but my grandfather said, Shane, we caught half of East Tennessee on fire this week. And uh, my first thought was, who is this man? You know, uh, uh, but, but then as I was going to sleep that, I, that night, I, I thought, what a powerful image of the kingdom of God, you know? Uh, not that we should be pyromaniacs, but that, that, that actually like, we should live in ways that, 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 that shine God's love, that, that, that burn it into the darkness of this world, that we, we, we live in ways that people have something to see and have something to go, what, what is it that, 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 that makes them love like that? Why do they hang out with those people? So, so uh, keep setting it on fire. Keep dropping that fire everywhere you go. And it, it's my prayer as we go back that the fruits of the Spirit Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That they would take root in our lives and in our hearts and ooze out of us everywhere we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again so much, Shane and Chris, for being with us this week. It has given us lots to think about, and hopefully we can continue um, conversations and imagining together in the months to come. We're going to close the service this morning with a song, so if you could turn to number 54 and sing the journey, and join, and please stand. And we'll sing verses 1, 3, and 5.
One Piece.